Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. <sighs> F. Yes. So many Fs. <laughs> it is going to be a blue, blue Christmas without competitive Syracuse basketball. And, like, I, I don't even know what the hell's happening anymore. Like... Beheim after the... Beheim wasn't even angry afterwards. He's, like, despondent. He's like the rest of us. Like, he's as... I mean, uh, we said it during the year. How weird is it that Jim Beheim feels good about a basketball team during the year? Apparently, it's 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 weird and bad. <laughs> nope, ends up it's horrifying. <laughs> when Jim thinks things are bad, they're good. And when Jim thinks things are good, they're atrocious. And uh, we're yeah. weird. Thank God Jim's such a pessimist all the time because, good Lord, you give him one, like, one optimistic preseason, you know, prediction and, and everything goes to hell. Like, this, honestly, not to just jump off as, like, as dour as we can get here, but I don't know where else, what other options we have. This is going to be the first under 500 Jim Bayhan team, right? Like, I don't see where it's not. Uh, yeah, I, I've got us at 15 and 17 after the... ACC tournament game we lose, and that'll, by the way, be the fourth straight season we will have not won an ACC tournament game. We've, yeah. We have this, never it's, won an ACC tournament game. It's so bad. Not once. Um, and, like you said, it's, it would be one thing, like, if we went out there every game and we, lo- we lost these games because it was clear the zone was broken and the player that he dies had didn't know the zone, that'd be one thing. We've lost games in every single way you could lose a game. Like, we've had games, like the UConn game, where we could not find the basket. We've had games where we've scored, but then, you know, the other team hit big shots, um, and, and the zone fell apart. This was both. Like, this was everything bad, and the team just clearly gave up, um, based on, like, my reading of everything. I, I couldn't watch most a lot of the game because of uh, funny SPN3 blackouts, which ended up being, like, a saving grace. But I, just based on watching this, the game run on, on GameCast, and then from everything I saw in highlights and... On Twitter, like, it just seems like the team quit. And, like, we've seen Syracuse teams do that before. And I've had people citing, like, the 06 DePaul game and uh, the Seton Hall game at the Dome a couple years ago. But, like, that was in, like, February. And, like, if you have one bad game in February and the rest of the season's kind of just going along, that's okay. Like, you'll do, it sucks, but you'll get over it. Um, is- even, like, this is, this is the fifth time this has happened this year. Against every power conference or pseudo-power conference team we have, depending on how you see UConn and, and the Big East teams, um, and it doesn't really matter how you classify them. Between any, every team that, that, you know, has some modicum of talent, um, even bad ones, like UConn doesn't, I don't think UConn's very good, and I think St. John's is probably maybe slightly better than they were last year when they didn't win a game last, like, three months of the season. We've lost, and not, not even, you know, it hasn't even been, like, a, a bad shot down the stretch, you know. They could have pulled out the UConn game. Would you feel that much better about things if they did? Not really. It's it's awful. It's everything. Like it's as bad as everyone on Twitter is saying, and that's a weird thing because it's it that Syracuse basketball. It's like never the case. Like it's never as bad as everyone's saying. It's as bad and maybe worse than everyone's saying. Yeah. <coughs> oh, I have a cold too. That sucks. <laughs> Sorry, bud. It's uh, it's not good, especially around the holidays. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this is awful. I'm gonna be writing an article about how awful it is tomorrow. Um, I'm sure one about. I haven't looked it up yet, but I know I wrote last year 
about like the last time we lost three non-conference games or two years ago the last time we lost three non-conference games and it was a long time ago this is going to be much further back um we're pretty much en route for the worst jim Beheim season unless some miraculous turnaround happens uh not exactly the way we wanted to go out of this era obviously there's still another year left potentially um or more, for all we know. And, uh, you know, Dan and I talked about this in the last podcast that actually was able to be recorded. Um, <laughs> we've had some technical difficulties of late, but talking about, you know, was 2014-15 the norm? Dan, that was kind of speculative then. I'm, I'm starting to think it was. And, like, I, I know, obviously, like, we still have a lot of games to play this year, and, and next year is, is still, you know way out there but at the same time you know the sanctions hurt the scholarship reductions hurt and i don't know if the team is necessarily adapted as well as we thought they did initially yeah i, I think it's just a lot of things I, it, it's way too easy to just like put it on one thing i saw some people blaming like the fifth year guys and i saw some other people blaming you know the, the direct coaching and i this today was like everything like everything went wrong um, overall, like it's it's tough to diagnose because I think we maybe the, maybe the final four run has like clouded our judgment a little bit, um, and maybe you know because everything around that run has been pretty bad, um, and obviously the, the the Christmas team that that got banned from the tournament like there were extenuating circumstances there. Um, we've had like a rash of transfers, so there've been like more recruiting misses than we probably have have had, and, and you know you think the fifth year transfers will will make up for that and will kind of lead to a mid year this year, but they clearly haven't. Um, it's tough. Yeah, I I think you can start to legitimately worry about how this team has, you know, how this program has has fallen uh, the last couple of years. Um, and I don't think it's like that unfair to call the Final Four run like kind of a, a like I mean it it wasn't anything it's anyone expected. Like we knew that team had a high a higher ceiling than uh, than probably what other people did, but. Um, if you take that away and you have that team just losing the second round to Michigan State, like most expected, like it's things look pretty gloomy. Um, so yeah, I, this is like where I would probably normally say, you know, people are being a little uh, reactionary, but like I, I can't really say that right now. It, every every you know awful diagnosis of things over the last three years seem to be pretty spot on. Or if they if they haven't been, you know, if they're the way this team has played has fooled everyone into to thinking they were so. It's uh, it's rough. It's 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 tough to be optimistic based on everything that's happened the last like three or four weeks. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm all out of optimism just because, like you said, this isn't just like one thing that that happens over and over again. This is a, a combination of different types of losses and different types of terrible ways to to you know play forty minutes of basketball. Um, I I definitely I don't see this team, especially after what Beheim said. You know him not knowing exactly what to do with this team. Um, I'm not necessarily optimistic that he's going to be able to figure it out in the short term. Um, maybe we salvage like a passable season in the ACC and go something like seven and eleven, eight and ten. Um, you know, that's still again, that's still a 500 season and, and easily the worst. You know, under Jim. Um, but yeah, I I don't know how this season turns around, and I. I think we can we can book our ticket to the, the NIT at best at, at, at this point. 
the NIT might be optimistic. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, seriously, I don't know if they're making the NIT. Um, Only reason they would make the NIT is because the NIT would know the money that it would make for them to invite Syracuse. That's really all. I guess. I mean, I, I know there, there, there are more parameters than, like, just that, right? Like, there's specific stuff involved, I think. I don't know. I've never rooted for the NIT team. I came the year after our last NIT appearance, so... Um, I really struggle to imagine myself getting up for the NIT, uh, to be honest. I um, in my freshman or sophomore year. I don't know that I'd watch those. I mean, I'd probably watch those games, but I don't know that I like would get, like go out of my way to make sure I could see them. I'd be so basketballed out from the tournament anyway, like yeah. I was from angry. covering the tournament. I, I was angry at those games, like very angry. Yeah, I, I don't think... Yeah. And this team, too, like I don't think... Especially, like, based on what we're seeing with a lot of these guys, if none of these guys are really NBA-banned, like, I don't know what we'd... Like, I don't know what we'd be doing, necessarily, to, to send them off. I mean, like, yeah, Roberson and Coleman, like, would be on their way out, but, yeah, I, I don't... I don't see the fans having the same love for this team that they did for the Rack team and obviously last year's team and a lot of other squads like even even the 06 07 and 07 08 teams there were reasons to watch those guys this team like i'm like maybe this just sounds like i'm being too harsh i just there's no reason to watch these games other than the fact that you're a syracuse fan because the basketball we're watching is is nondescript trash that most mid-majors could toss out there on any given night yeah, the team doesn't have an identity. Um, you have two, you know, a bunch of guys that this, that people haven't rooted for before. Like, we have some attachment to Tyler Lydon because of last year's tournament, but, like, that's about it. I mean, Coleman is a good story, and I think we all feel for DeJuan Coleman, who is probably, like, one of the guys that you can actually say it looks like he's playing hard at a, any given moment. Um, but, like, everyone else, like, it's a lot of guys that we don't know that well or, you know, just showed up to the program and they happen to just show up in time for the program to implode under them. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't think, like, you said the Rack team, like, the Rack team was not good. It was a pretty likable team. Like, you had Christmas, who was putting on this, like, all-world effort every night to keep the team afloat. They knocked off a couple teams that they probably shouldn't have. They played really hard. They were very limited. But you had Cooney, who was, you know, entrenched in the program. It was his fourth year, third third year playing. You had Benege, who was just emerging and transferred from Duke. You had, like, a bunch of guys who were known quantities, and it wasn't a great team, but at least, like, they, you know, you could be kind of proud watching them, even if they, they fell short. Um, and they played hard almost every night. And just watching Christmas, at least, like, as a showcase for him was fun because he was putting together such an awesome season, and even though it was largely wasted, like, I felt good about watching Rack go out there and put up, like, 20 and 12 because, you know, it made a, it, there were better prospects for him to go play in the NBA, and obviously he's kind of bounced back and forth between the D-League and the NBA since. But no one saw that for Rack, like, even the year before when he had, like, flashes. Yeah, we, like, saw, this like, team, some, we saw some mock draft, I remember, like, a year or so before, like, had him in the second round and we all left. Yeah, this team, like, Roberson, like, is so frustrating and, and doesn't even have, like, the personality that Rack did where you could be like, you know, but I, I really, like, I don't think anyone has, like, negative personal feelings about Roberson. It's just no one knows who he is. Right. So it's hard. Uh, Coleman, I think, is, is pretty likable, and he's a local guy and everything, but I don't think he has any major NBA prospects after this. He'll probably go play overseas somewhere and hopefully make some good money out doing that. But um, everyone else, like, 
Are Syracuse fans going to feel warm and fuzzy about Andrew White after this? And he's probably, you know, if, if anyone um, might have the best chance of sticking somewhere if he can, you know, find his jump shot, which has been uh, totally gone the last couple weeks. Um, I mean, I, I guess if there's like, uh, I said the almost the biggest bright side of this season right now is it, it looks unlikely that Tyler Lydon or Tyus Battle are going to be able to make a jump to the NBA uh, given what we've seen so far. And those are the two guys that we, you know, probably thought were definitely gone. Um, because they haven't, like, Leiden's had some moments, but he's been inconsistent. Battle has just not, you know, the type of five-star guy that makes a leap and gets those in the first round, because there's so many other great guards that fit that profile right now. So, you know, maybe we this almost serves as, like, a reset year where we then, you know, have more guys back than we expected um, for the final Bayheim run, and maybe next year becomes a, a nice surprise. But that's, like a very optimistic outlook that, you know, a lot of things would have to go right to, to prove out. Yeah. I, this is a team of mercenaries a little bit. And like, and I mean, that's kind of where we're getting to here is like, this is a, a bit of a team of mercenaries. They're hired guns, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a guy who could have potentially gone, you know, one and done like Tyus battle or, you know, guys like Gillen and white, um, you know, this is a team of unknown quantities and guys like Syracuse doesn't do the whole Kentucky thing or Duke of late thing where, you know, you can just kind of get attached to a guy for one year. Like, that's not really a thing that we do. Uh, Wes Johnson and maybe a couple others aside, like, this team, like, this team doesn't fit us. And I'm not going to say that it should or, or that, you know, the, the quote-unquote us concept, you know, should just stay static forever. Um, that said... Like, quote-unquote, us worked for, for, you know, 40 years. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying that Beheim made the wrong decisions here. I don't think he did, given what he was handed. Um, at, at the same time, again, you, you look around this roster, and there just aren't enough consistent answers to, to be competitive on, on a night-to-night basis, apparently against anyone, um, you know, in a, in a major six or seven conference. Um, that would be obviously the Power Five plus Big East and the American Athletic. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm at a loss, and you're at a loss, and a lot of Syracuse fans are kind of wondering what the f. And uh, I, I'm right there with them, as are you, as are a lot of other folks. Uh, this is uncharted territory for us as a fan base, and most of the fan base at least, um, as we're kind of you know, again we're seven and five. We're at the five loss mark earlier in the season than we have been decades um, and pretty much have no tournament hopes unless we again flip a switch and go like 13 and five in conference play with like three or four road upsets yeah i think honestly if there's a path to tournament you probably have to win 13 games and that's like i don't know where you find those like no. they're not just going to be handed to you like either i mean I don't. You can't pencil in any wins. Like you can't pencil in a Boston College win right now. Nope. It's, it just can't do it. Like we've just lost to a team that's worse than Boston College in all likelihood. Um, so it's it's just it's rough. And and you know I fully welcome the team to prove us wrong and go on this ridiculous run and mer- and gel over Christmas break or something. Maybe they'll they'll have a, a nice you know team meeting without the coaches and everyone will air out their dirty laundry and yeah, everything yeah. else that every. Uh, Every sports movie has ever, you know, utilized as a cliche and that we always hear uh, about from every team that struggles. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, I can't even 
picture a universe in which that that actually comes to fruition. Like it's just it'd be one of the more ridiculous turnarounds in recent memory. And I think if there's a saving grace, it's that like there's been so much else happening in college basketball and sports in general that I don't really think many have noticed. Like obviously Georgetown UConn fans are dancing on our graves, and, and at this point, like I can't even blame them for it. Just yeah, the, the Braves are. Yeah, the Braves are right there. Like, you might as well dance. Someone turn on the fucking jukebox. Pardon my French. Um, but, good lord. Ugh, it's just, it's bad. Like, it, it's 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 almost sad that it's it's less of a story. And, like, Michigan State has had, had troubles this year, too, because of injuries and stuff. And, like, people made something of that. Like, people don't even seem to, like, notice. And that's almost like a... No, it's weird. You'd think it'd be a bigger deal that Syracuse is losing to a bunch of like pretty mediocre teams, like consistently now. Well, the names are um, there. the names are there, and maybe they don't notice that like St. John's is awful and UConn's really, really bad this year, and Georgetown is mediocre. Um, but man, like I almost wish, I almost wish like someone would take notice and like call out and say, you know, what's wrong with Syracuse? Maybe you know we should have lost to Eastern Michigan, we would have gotten that, but. No, we, we go and we win those games by 50, and everything looks great. Yeah, of course. Um, all right. I, I'm tired of talking about this team because it's frustrating and aggravating. Um, so while the Syracuse women's team also lost today, um, one thing that was good is that they introduced some new road uniforms. I don't know. They really didn't provide any like kind of clarification if those are going to be permanent road uniforms or if it was just a one-off. Um, Dan, how do you feel about this kind of modern-looking script that the women's team rolled out and hopefully we see rolled out for the men soon? Um, I mean, I love them. Uh, At least, and and not to immediately go back to this, but if you can say one thing about the Syracuse men's team, it's like, well, at least the jerseys aren't the problem. So, yeah, let's roll out the the script. Like, at least we'll get something, because the stripling uniforms look awesome. Um, Obviously, we scrapped those real quick a couple years ago after we lost to BC. Um, I'm all for them. I think they look great. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i uh you know i we were talking in our slack room just about like kind of some of the elements that might hint at the fact that these are a little more permanent um you know you see some of the uh nike elite uh elements on the shorts um the font's been refined and updated a little bit more you see other elements of the jersey don't just look like you know a one-off throwback but these look like something that they're implementing long term um, that'd be great as i mentioned in the article today uh for listeners yesterday um, Syracuse had pretty much the same uniform um, since what 07 in the spring when they introduced it right before the Big East tournament started. Um, so yeah, pretty much, well, almost the entire time that, like from when I was a freshman on, they've had the same uniform. This is the longest stretch we've had in the same unis for a while. Um, so I think I, I'm sure that Nike and Syracuse are feeling the, the pinch a little bit uh, in terms of merchandise sales, and, and, and that would be one of the uh, the major pushes toward bringing out some new jerseys, obviously. Yeah, I mean, they've changed a couple, like, things about them since then. I think, like, two or three times they've, like, taken some striping off or, like, they took away, like, the, the weird, like, checkerboard thing and they've taken away, like, the, the duct tape. Um, but, like, largely they're, like, the same block print, um, same general thing. So the script is a pretty big change and, and a welcome one. Just, I mean, I think that seems to be, like, everyone's consensus favorite, like, old-school Syracuse uniform. Yeah, I, I think... That seems to be the one that would move the most merchandise. Obviously, it was a, it was a perfect storm due to unfortunate circumstances uh, with Pearl's passing. Uh, the kind of renewed, not only older fans that, that love the script, but you know newer fans that may not have really seen the script live or, 
or had too much knowledge of it and now we're really excited about it you see the pearl t-shirts everywhere um and then obviously we wore the the throwbacks against georgetown um in a loss but uh, nonetheless yeah I, I do think that um that this does seem like something that's coming it's just a question of when um just wish that a syracuse is winning and b that that the new uniforms weren't being wasted on a team that's losing Dad. Oh, there we go. Um, <laughs> say, you knew it was going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. It does seem like kind of like a, a bit of wasted, you know, because New Jersey's everyone's so excited, and I don't know that anything could really get anyone more excited than aside from like a 12 game winning streak now. Um, but, you know, if they're going to unveil, might as well. Like, it can't hurt. Too, too true. Um,. Now, also on the, you know, not talking directly about the basketball team front, uh, there's been some additions to the football team, which is helpful for us. Uh, Dan, the biggest addition right off the bat would be uh, former Notre Dame quarterback, uh, cornerback, excuse me, uh, Devin Butler. That gives us two Devin Butlers on the team now. Um, obviously, Butler has a little bit of a running with the law in his past, but the talent was there just a few years ago. How do you feel about that addition uh, to the team and the fact that it's really been kind of written in stone since November and, and Babers and Co. just kind of been waiting to make the announcement? Um, I, I think that uh, anytime there's someone with, like, some some past issues, especially, like, ones that jump off the page, like, uh, I think, battery against police, um, it's disconcerting. I remember when that happened, and I remember writing about it. Um, and it should be noted, like, the the... It sounds like there was basically a thing at a, a, a bar. Um, Butler was coming off of a surgery, so he was like on crutches and stuff. Uh, so, it, which kind of throws some questions. And then there were multiple witnesses. Uh, one was, uh, I think, both either one was his girlfriend, or one was, or, or both were girlfriends of like other Notre Dame players who said that he really didn't do anything and didn't deserve to be tased like he was. So, you can take those with a grain of salt. Um, obviously, they were, you know, probably friends of his. Um, but either way, it sounds like this was like a bit murkier than just a clean cut, like resisting arrest thing. Um, but I mean, even so he wasn't thrown out of school. He graduated. Um, he seemed to be pretty popular with his teammates. So that doesn't excuse anything that that might've happened, but, um, it wasn't, you know, some of these other things that we've, we've seen in the news, like it wasn't a domestic violence situation, which I know we would all rail against. Um, and for good reason, looking at everything that's happened at Oklahoma the last couple of days, um, so, uh, I don't have a huge problem giving someone who, you know, got in a, a thing at a bar a second chance, uh, like I might for some other issues. Um, and on the field, like, he was a, a very, uh, talented sought-after recruit. He was, like, one of the best corners in the country in his class. Um, he was a solid player at Notre Dame, although injuries kind of, uh, kept him from really emerging as one of their top guys. Um, but it's, it's a good, uh, I think it's a good pickup. Uh, it, it, there's no position that I think Syracuse needs more help at than cornerback. And he, uh, on paper at least, he should be able to be plugged in right away and be the number one or number two guy at that position. Right. I mean, that, that's the big concern here is that, you know, it, it, I would have felt better. I mean, I, I'm glad he's here. I would have felt better if he was stepping into a system where he'd be rotated around with a guy like Corey Winfield or a guy like Chauncey Sism. But having Sism and uh, Winfield now out the door, both transferring, uh, 
you can speculate if you want about the correlation to the Nation Howard situation last offseason, but nonetheless, um, our two most experienced and best corners gone. Uh, Butler steps in. Uh, I'm very worried about that spot. I know that um, we obviously have a lot of recruits. Uh, a lot of those guys were kind of banged up this fall. I know a lot of the freshmen got to take red shirts, which is a plus. But yeah, I, I think Butler's addition uh, can only be seen as a positive, and it definitely underscores too, though, that we're far from out of the woods in terms of um, just the roster issues and personnel issues. And I wrote that article last week, um, just saying, you know, one third of 2015 commit. Oh, 2015 recruiting class already off campus. Um, everybody has turnover, things like that, um, from recruiting class to recruiting class. But um, SU's obviously seen a hell of a lot of departures in a very short time with uh, with that class, which certainly doesn't help now um, as we kind of push to, to add another four or five guys to, to wrap up this class and get as close to the 85 uh, scholarship number as possible. Yeah, and, and none of it's... Uh all that surprising because any this is another one of those those big periods for uh, players transferring out. It's like right after the first season under a new coach, you learn what he's all about. You learn you know whether or not you're ident- you you know personally mesh mesh with him, uh, and then probably more importantly mesh with the system on both sides of the ball. We talked about how big a change the defensive system was all year, um, and that played out on the field. Uh, so this is like one of those periods where you expect to lose a bunch of guys if there if there are going to be transfers, and that's that's certainly taking place. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, and we said this before when uh, when Schaefer took over. You know, unfortunately for him, a lot of the uh, incoming recruited class, um, you know, went out the door when Marone did, and that forced him to really make a lot of last-second decisions um, for the 2013 class. Uh, when Marone came in, a lot of the old Greg Robinson guys went out the door. So again, like th- th- this is normal, and that's not to take Babers to task or even Schaefer to task really about this attrition. Um, that said, it's just describing the situation we're in, which is uh, obviously not an easy one um, and one that, you know, is probably getting worse before it gets better. Um, I know between that, you know, the cornerback situation isn't great. Losing guys like Tyler Cross, who we hadn't really seen any of, uh, as well as uh, Anthony Judice, who we also hadn't seen much of, um, the defensive tackle position, Um we have players there, but I wouldn't say we have a ton of depth there. The defensive line in general is a concern. Um, the one really big uh, addition uh, beyond Butler last week, though, was uh, tight end Ravian Pierce. Now, Dan, I know we had discussed before, the tight end position seems a little kind of up in the air with Babers and his offense. Um, Pierce seems like he's a real pass-catching option. Do you see something – you see an addition like him being – um, more of like a tight end in name only, or do you see him really be kind of converted to a bit of a blocker? Um, I openly hope that they'll use him in the past touching sense because I think you can more easily fly, find, you know, tweener blockers than you can talented past touching tight ends. Um, obviously, he was a, he was a four-star guy originally uh, committed to Mississippi State, so he was a kind of a known quantity on the recruiting trail. Um, and he's not like, uh, you know, 260-pound inline blocker. Like, by just, he looks like he could be kind of moved outside and made into more of a big receiver. He sits 4 225, which is not too unlike some other guys we already have on the roster. Um, so I, I hope we see him in some kind of pass-catching role. Just as, you know, in general, it's more exciting to see your, t- to see your tight ends do that. 
Um, but also because tight ends just notoriously in, in this offense, both under Babers and Bryles and everyone else who's run it, like they just aren't huge weapons. Uh, that's just not what they do. Um, so, hey, it's almost kind of impressive that they were able to sell a, a big name tight end on Tommy um, at all because they literally, I mean, how many catches did our tight ends have this year? Like eight? Um, yeah. Something like that. Um, and it's not like there was a history of like Bowling Green using their tight ends to big, uh, to any big numbers and, and even Baylor uh, to that sense. So, um, Wyoming just ran one of the most hilarious broken up field goals ever. Um, <laughs> um, the sap was so slow he caught it and then was able to actually run a fake after it had already been gotten blown up um, but yeah I, I'm happy to have him in and I hope they do find a, a use for him as a pass catcher because he does look like he could present some, some serious mismatches on the outside with his size yeah I mean right now Syracuse will have three tight ends on the roster for next year uh, Kendall Moore was granted another year um, he's definitely more of a blocker that we did catch a few passes this year um Obviously, you'll have Pearson, and then you also have, hopefully, a uh, three-star tight end, Aaron Hackett. Uh, he's another guy. He seemed like he was more in the pass-catching mold. So, you know, whether it's him and Pierce, I mean, I would assume Pierce gets him playing time early because he's a Juco guy, only has two years left. Um, like you said, there are some guys in the roster that kind of fit that general body type. Um, looking specifically at uh, Jamal Custis, Amir Ely. Uh, these are guys that have been on the roster and you know really banged up since they arrived. Uh, Custis in particular, and you and I have been on the uh, you know Custis fade train since day one of just throw it up in the end zone and see what he can do. And I actually think that that was going to be one of the, uh, the the core tenets of the game plan um, inside the the ten this year. And just because you know Custis was unable to see the field, that uh, that never came to be. Uh, bit of a bummer, but. You know, hopefully he uh, he can get back on the field because uh, in the limited action we've seen him since he arrived on campus, um, you have to like what what he gives you at the goal line. Yeah, I I definitely think it's had a, a different dimension to the offense, um, and you know, losing Abba at Atawa, obviously he doesn't play the same position, and I don't expect him to be anywhere near that type of receiver. But you need a, a bigger target. Um, you know, Miles a fairly decent target guys that we already have on the roster who have gone largely unproven the last couple of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice get. Um, and it was one that kind of signals that this team is going to uh, probably recruit a, a slightly higher level. And that's that's pinned out like a top 50 class so far. It's not finished. And, um, you know, it's top 50. I'm looking at 24-7. And they have some guys like DeVito and, uh, a little lower than a bunch of other places have. Or, you know, they only have DeVito as a three-star and he's a four at, like, at least two other sites. Um, so it's, it's going to be somewhere in like the 45 to 50 range, which is about as good a class as we've had, you know, since early G Rob probably. Um, so that, you know, it's a pretty good sign. It's not like things have dropped off and we're trying to, you know, playing from behind again. Agreed. And just to correct myself, I mentioned Amir Ely. He was real, actually dismissed from the team last year and charged at rape. Uh, I was more talking about Adley Anoisi. You can see how that mix up might've happened. <laughs> I apologize to both for the mix-up. Um, okay, we're at halftime, Dan. So uh, we can talk about beer, maybe whatever you drank in the last week, or backtrack as far as you want, since this podcast has been recording bi-weekly of late. It's, I don't even remember like at this point what the last things we talked about. <laughs> uh, so I'll just do like the, the highlights of the last couple. Um, so I was in Connecticut last weekend. 
I had a couple local things, uh, Honey Spot Road IPA, which I bring up, you know, pretty much anytime I go home uh, from two roads. Uh, although that will be less necessarily a uh, Connecticut thing because I've seen that everywhere recently. Um, and more hyper-local to my hometown, uh, Half Full Brewery, which is in my hometown of Stanford. Uh I just knocked over a stool. Um, so that's what that was. Uh, I'm still angry about the games. I'm just taking stuff around my apartment. Um, Half Full, uh, a, a decent brewery from my hometown. I haven't been like overly uh, in love with a lot of their stuff, although it is cool to have a, a brewery in Stanford at all, so I appreciate them. Um, they actually did a really nice uh, peach wheat uh, called Within Reach, um, which was really nice, really well balanced. Probably one of the better things I've had from them, so that was very encouraging. Um, then, let's see, I had a, uh, a Belgian beer, a Petrus Aged Pale from a Brewery, brewery de Brambendere. Uh, it's it was in Belgium, I assume, uh, which was awesome. Um, it was uh, super like uh, to even describe it as a pale ale seemed off. Like it almost drank like a uh, like a, a cider or like a, a sparkling, uh, some kind of sparkling wine. It was a little thicker and it was uh, very very uh, like you know had a nice nice bubbliness to it, um, and it, it really like it was. It almost seemed more like a. It drank more like this, although obviously it had like almost like a, a little more of a, a pale ale and almost a, a little bit of sourness to it too. So it was an interesting one, and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had um, oof, going back. I think we talked about the White Oak Kyle Did did that did that uh, episode publish? I don't yes, even remember. That one happened. Okay, yeah, uh, I haven't had that since, but that I'm just gonna bring it up again because that was awesome. Um, and uh, Omergang Wit, uh, Vanilla Porter from Breckenridge, which is really good, and I'm not a huge Porter fan, uh, but really enjoyed that one. Uh, so those are probably the, the, the highlights from since last time we did this. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, on my end, I'll just kind of pick and choose here. Um, had Velicor with Apricot from Monkish. Had uh, Fire Snow Walker's uh, Bread of Weiss, which is very good. Uh, one of Monkish's latest IPAs, their uh, Karate Kick. I grabbed a growler at that, so that lasted me a little while. Um, went down to uh, Orange County for uh, kind of an early Christmas with my in-laws uh, and went to uh, Chapman Crafted. Uh, it's a brewery over in Orange. Wanted to go there for a while, uh, so finally got to uh, check out a couple of their beers. Uh, some I had. I had Personal Agenda, Pale Ale, Guilty of Haze, their IPA. Had Slow Riser 2.0. It was kind of a coffee red ale, which was interesting. Had a gent with coconut. Their uh, imperial stout, and that was really it. Didn't feel like backtracking a ton, but yeah, that was kind of my last seven days or so. Very cool. Yeah, we may we may need more. These beer, these beer uh, segments might get longer as we go on, based on how the season is done. <laughs> Too true. What are you drinking at this very moment? Just bourbon. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just rubbing alcohol. I just, just want to make sure the taste goes away forever. I'm just, I'm just mainlining Listerine. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So we don't have a ton to talk about, and then we don't want to talk about the basketball team. Uh, Dan, what else is on your mind? Uh, this might be a shorter episode this week. Uh, I know you were joking about our, our favorite music of the year, but I honestly was like so far so much more into that idea than actually talking about the team. We can talk about that for a couple minutes, whatever. Sweet. Yeah. Dan and I aren't talking about this team anymore because it's awful. 
I, I won't accept any opinions that say anything but Chance the Rapper's coloring book is the album of the year. But Dan, feel free to try to sway me on that. Um, coloring book, uh, if we're going to be very stupid music industry about this, coloring book is not an album, it's a minutes tape, John. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it has every, uh, you know, every it, it fits. Of an album. Right, and it doesn't really sound like a mixtape, and it's very much its own thing. Um, I have no problem with that. Uh, it's definitely one of the things I've listened to the most this year. Um, it probably isn't my favorite thing that's come out, uh, but it's awesome. Like it's it's easily in the discussion, and Chance is amazing. And uh, I wish him nothing but the uh, long term success because everything he's done so far has been great. Um, I think my album of the year uh, came out over the summer, um, and I keep on going back to it. Uh, is the album Teens of Denial by Car Seat Headrest, which is a, a one basically one-person uh, indie rock band. Um, just a super, like, all over the place, a lot of, like, 80s influences, guitar-based rock, which doesn't really exist many places anymore. Every song's good. Um, lyrically, it's, like, next level for, like, current rock music. Uh, so really enjoy that. Um, and I, like, every couple months, I'm, I haven't listened to it in a while, and then I'll go and, like, listen to it, like, ten times in a week. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, uh, for me, it was Chance and then, like, some other runner-ups. I mean, I'm I'm not... I, I finally decided I'm no longer a complete and utter Kanye apologist because his his last 12 months of... Just, just, just take some time, man. Uh, but, yeah, right. I, did, I did love Life of Pablo, that said. Um, enjoyed Blonde from Frank Ocean. Uh, 22 A Million was really good from Bon Iver. Uh, it was an interesting departure for him, just from what he was uh, doing in the past. Uh, the obvious, you know, Radiohead nod, because Moonshade Pool was a better album than the previous one. Um, I also liked, I don't know if you listened to it, um, The uh, I Had a Dream That You Were Mine from uh, Hamilton Lighthouser from uh, The Walkman. And, uh, I just... Jam. From I just listened to that for the first time like a week ago, and I like didn't even know it existed. It was pretty good. Um, I need to give more time to that. And like a couple of the ones you just brought up, like came out recently-ish, and I haven't just had enough time for those. Like Blonde, um, which is a way like dense album, um, and definitely needs more time. As did the, as did a uh, Channel Orange, which ended up being like one of my favorite, maybe my favorite album of that year. Um, and uh, Pablo, I really enjoyed. It's so fraught with issues, and obviously, like I try to separate like Kanye's own issues uh, away from like the album itself. It's, so it's like. It's such a it's such a mess of an album, and it still has such like high highs that uh, it's I, I I it's in my top five. I mean, um, Ultralight Beam is still the best song of the year. I I agree I, with, I, I, I struggled with there. I feel like everyone has it, and like I thought the first time I heard it, I was like, "Holy crap, this is an amazing song." Chance Chance, I think two kills it. Years in a row has the best. I think he has the best rap verse of the last two years um, on other people's songs. Uh, last year, I think it was on Baby Blue by Action Bronson. Um, he's just, like, he's incredible. Uh, every feature he does, like, him and Kendrick will just pop up and own someone's song and just walk out, you know, as it stays left, and it'll just be like, okay. And I, I actually, like, that's one of the things that's so crazy about Kanye is that he's such an egotist, but he has no problem letting someone else just take over his song as long as it's, like, the best thing for the music, and I wish he would bring that to, like, everything else. Well, it's weird, too, because I feel like a lot of the people that he signs to good music, like, aren't good. But then a lot of the people that he supports on his tracks are. So, like, he gets the most out of people. He's like... I mean, like, like this reminded me a lot of the uh, the Nicki Minaj verse on Monster. Right, like, which like, I think is probably the best... Stratosphere. 
And I think that's the best thing she's ever done. And, like, he does that with a lot of, like, lesser people. Um, so it, it, he's like, a, I mean, it, you know, breaking news, Tanya is tough to examine and, and deal with. Um, but there's a reason why, you know, people, like, won't give up on him. Um, and I, Ultra Light Beam is probably my song of the year. Like, the, there's there's few other songs I've listened to more. Um, there's so much going for it. Uh, it sets the stage for, like, that whole album. It really sets the stage for Coloring Book almost more. It does. Um, it's, uh, and, and the, I enjoy, like, one of my favorite, like, music tidbits of the year is his line on, uh, is Chance's line on that of, like, the, uh, there won't be, like, one line you can't tweet, and then, like, three days after Coloring Book came out, someone went and, like, their every line from Coloring Book had been tweeted, <laughs> which is so good. Um, so, yeah, love that. Um, there's, like, a lot of, like, I don't know, I almost had, like, a weird, like, personally had, like, a weird, like, pop-punk, uh, almost, like, post-emo resurgence this year. There were a lot of good albums, like, the new Modern Baseball album's great. Um, the, the album by this band, The Hotel Year, has been really critically acclaimed. It's really good. One of my favorite albums of the year. It's like a straight. Them in years. By, uh, who? The Hotel Year. Yeah. I mean, how many how many albums do they have? Yeah. Like three. Maybe. Um, there's like a straight punk rock album by uh, this dude named Jeff Rosenstock, which is like one of my favorites of the year. Um, so that's been fun. Uh, even like Weezer put out a great album this year. Um, which I mean, their last album was actually pretty good too. But they had like a, a, what? eight years of just nothing really all that worth anything. Uh, live in Indy a couple of years ago, and I just, like, they didn't even play Sweater Song. Like, they, met, they, like, they missed a lot of opportunities. But, like, yeah, I'm still aboard the Weezer train. Yeah, the White Album's pretty good. It's, like, it's straight, like, it, it doesn't, like, try to do anything crazy. It's every song is about girls in California, <laughs> which I guess musically is, like, a pretty tried-and-true, tested... Uh, it works. Yeah, you can't really go wrong. That's been going. That's been working since the '60s, and they just kind of went back to the well, and it it, it all sounds really good. Um, trying to th- let me see what else we got here. I mean, uh, a year for hip hop. I, I felt like hip hop's been really good. Yeah, like a tribe called Quest album was great. Um, oh, it's so good. I don't know if you spent time with uh, No Names uh, Telephone, and she was featured on a couple tracks on Coloring Book. Um, and she her uh, her album Telephone was really really good. I have not heard that. Um, I really like Schoolboy Q's album, um, which is, is quite good. Um, I'm trying to see what else we got here. Tri- the Tribe album is, is amazing. And, and like when, when a band or a group comes back uh, from like a 15-year hiatus, like I have usually very low expectations for it. For it cause like you never know if it's like a money grab or like you know right. what. This was like such an inspired. It's probably one of the two or three best hip hop albums of the year. Oh, um, yeah someone in somewhere in there it's so pointed it's so uh it holds i mean it sounds like it almost makes you appreciate their old stuff too because if you go back and listen to like their stuff from from like the early 90s and late 80s like it 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 holds up so well like better than a lot of the hip-hop from that era does like it doesn't sound dated it sounds like very in the moment um so that i mean they they're just so great <laughs> and i'm so happy that album exists um oh, we didn't even mention the bowie album the Bowie album's tough. Like it's 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 such a, a different thing. I, I really appreciate it. I I haven't like been able to get super into it, and I really want to. Um, I've listened to it a bunch. It's it's a lot. It's such a challenging album, and there's so much going on. But the fact that he pulled it off at all is, is unreal. Right. And I know a lot of people like uh, swear by it. So I I mean I I trust everyone else. It doesn't feel like a thing where everyone's just like paying homage. I remember when it came out, and people were like, "Holy crap! Like this is nuts." Um, I actually just heard Black Star for the first time in a while, like the other day on the radio. I'm like, this song's a lot, but like it has so there's so much in it that it like you, it's hard not to appreciate it. Right. I buy all that. All right. 
you know, I, I think we'd have a shorter episode this week. We're not going to have an episode next week uh, for the holiday. I'm sure between that and the Syracuse losses piling up, most of you will not be around the site anyway. Uh, but Dan, wanted to thank you for taking the time, as always. Yes, hopefully, hopefully everyone has a uh, happy holiday season uh, this weekend and gets to forget about basketball for a couple days. Agreed, agreed. Safe travels to all. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Troy News and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, wherever else you may listen to us. And uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.